This is episode number 15 with my darling husband, Nick Broadhurst. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Boy, oh boy, do I have something super special for you today. My darling husband is on the show and launching his latest epic music video called The One, which is so freaking exciting. For those of you who don't know Nick, he is an incredible musician and he has this innate ability to take you on a soulful journey with his music, which will bust open your heart. His music has moved millions of people all over the world. But to get to where he is today, he has been on one hell of an interesting ride, which you are not going to want to miss. In this episode today, we chat about Nick's journey and how he got to where he is today, the personal work you must do before you can call in the one, the importance of understanding the masculine and the feminine, the number one key to your relationship, the power of support and challenge in your relationship, how to find the one, why wanting from a place of fear and lack will repel the one, how to know when you have finally found the one, what to do if you are with someone who you know isn't the one, the keys to fulfilling relationships, why stress will kill your relationship, the power of a daily practice for epic relationships, what a superior man is and why you want one, plus so much more. Everything that we mention in today's episode, you can get in the show notes, melissaambrosini.com forward slash 15. We will also put the latest music video there so you can go and have a listen straight after this. Make sure the volume is turned right up. And for now, let's dive into this epic episode with my one, Nick Broadhurst. Welcome, darling. Before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Absolutely. Well, my breakfast hasn't changed for about two years now, ever since Crosby Taylor, who's been on your podcast, um, introduced me to Bulletproof Coffee. And this is my absolute go-to now. I, I wouldn't say I crave it, but it's it feels so good every morning to have my Bulletproof. And it pretty much just consists of a really high-quality coffee bean with a couple of tablespoons of grass-fed butter, um, a medium-chain triglyceride or an MCT oil, and then I throw a whole bunch of different goodies in there like hishi woo, ashwagandha, cinnamon, mucunapurians, um, powder arco. All these sorts of things help with your body to adapt to stress and regulate your blood sugar 
levels, your hormones, and activate the ATP in your mitochondria, which is all about energy. So that's pretty much my breakfast, and then I throw some collagen in there as well, which really grounds it and just gives that little hit of protein in the morning. For a lot of people, it probably sounds like you were just speaking another language. So (laughs) I think we're going to have to get you back on to talk just about health. You are one of the most knowledgeable people I know on health and wealth and love. But today is all about love and finding the one because today is a very, very special day. You are launching your latest song, The One, together with the most beautiful music video, which is about us and starring me, which is very, very cool. Now, I'm not the only one who feels incredibly moved and touched by your music. You get inundated with YouTube comments and private messages and emails from people saying how much your music has influenced them and touched them and really moved them. And I mentioned in the introduction that you have this innate ability to move people and make them dive deep into their heart with your words. It's like your music is a spiritual experience, yet it's still commercial and mainstream, but you haven't always been releasing epic music and on your true path. Can you tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been quite a journey and I certainly I certainly have made life pretty hard for myself, to be honest. I mean, I tried so hard to not do music, um, but I'll take you back to probably when I was a child because that's where it kind of all started for me. And as a well, 11, 10-year-old, I found myself listening at nighttime underneath my duvet, which is the British word for doona, and because I grew up in England, that's one little fact about me. But um, I used to smuggle my tape recorder underneath my duvet and listen to these classic old big bands like the Glenn Miller Orchestra, Charlie Parker, all these sorts of guys who were around in the 30s. And I was obsessed with jazz. And it's bizarre because it just sort of it was just always there. I don't know why. I just had this affinity for jazz. And my little boy, Leo, is the same age now. He's 11 and he has the same, which is really interesting. But I had this really, really strong pull towards music and just got it from a young age. Just, it was really effortless. And so I started playing the, well, I started with flute and then that wasn't cool enough. The girls didn't like that. So I went to saxophone and really quickly picked that up and found myself loving the improvisation that you can do in jazz. It gave me total freedom to just express myself, which I probably didn't know how to do outside of music very well, very well as a kid. And all through high school, it was just all about music and sport and girls, of course, but music was a huge part of my life. And I always knew I was going to do something with music And saxophone was, I guess, the easiest thing for me at the time. But there was this part of me which, and I think listeners might be able to feel what I'm saying here, and that is there was this part of me that knew that I could do more and 
I knew that I wanted to write music. I knew I wanted to sing and write lyrics. And I did attempt this in high school to my embarrassment, but um, I just knew that there was more for me. But I kind of went through high school, finished that, and realized, well, there's no way I can make a living out of music, obviously. So I went into industrial chemistry, of all things, and I just happened to find science and chemistry and physics very, very easy. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just go and do an industrial chemistry and maybe I'll design some cosmetics or something, I don't know, some paint. Um, as you do. As you do. Mm-hmm. And I made it six months into that program and realized it was absolutely not for me and did what many Australian teenagers do and saved up some money working in a bar and went traveling. And I fell in love with a German girl, my first love, and we spent some time um, in Germany together and I was living there and that led to my first major heartbreak. Um, and I found myself back in Australia. But on the way home, I came through Malaysia and various parts of Asia and picked up dengue fever, which was, to be honest, it was a bit of a nightmare to try and get rid of. This was back in 2000. And that was my first foray into really messing with my body and getting things wrong, um, which will make sense in a minute when I finish the story. But I made it back to Australia and studied acting. I studied spinology, which is like an American version of chiropractics, heavily based on philosophy, which kind of changed my life a lot because I spent a year diving really deep into philosophy. And then by chance, I went out to dinner with a really curious character named Damon Downey, otherwise known as MCDD. And he had just started a band called Sneaky Sound System with two of his friends. In fact, it was started by someone else called Angus. And they met, he rapped in his ear and they had an affinity with what they were doing and then Damon joined the band. And I mentioned to Damon that I played saxophone and he said, hey, come down and, and come and have a jam with us. And the band had been going for about a month at that point. So I went down to this little place called The Point of View in Bondi and it fits about 60 people but we had about 110 people in there and and I started jamming and just became part of this band, Sneaky Sound System. And we didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest. It was just a bunch of guys who were mucking around and just having a lot of fun on a Sunday night, which really kicked off the Sunday night music scene in Australia. It was the sort of epicenter of a lot of culture back then. And we used to have a line down the street of hundreds and hundreds of people trying to get in to this little club and from there it just kind of snowballed and we just grew and grew and became one of the biggest if not the biggest band at some point in Australia with a number one album and multiple awards and it was a very wild ride with a lot of touring and a pretty unhealthy way of living Um, lots of late nights lots of uh, smoky clubs But it was an absolute blast and it gave me a taste of what success in music can be like. But the big thing for me was even though from the outside it looked like I was, you know, doing really well because I was part of this very cool, very current and successful band that was all over the radio, you know, all the things that you sort of judge yourself by 
when it comes to music, I knew that ultimately this band was not mine. I was a piece of the machine. I was very managed. I was very young. I was the youngest in the band by a long shot. And around that time, I met uh, my former partner who I have a child with, Leo, and she didn't like this career very much. And, you know, I guess I let myself get pushed around a little bit in that relationship and found myself moving into a real estate career. So I gave up a very successful musical career to go into real estate, which was incredibly tough to do. I think it's probably the hardest industry to make it in. Um, But within a few years, I climbed my way up to become awarded the number one real estate agent in Australia by the Real Estate Institute. And I did that just, I think, by being quite different. And that was, I was just completely honest and really, I tried to appeal to that more authentic and genuine side of people when they were selling this beautiful thing called their home. It was such an important moment in their life and I gave it a lot of love and respect and really threw myself at it and I went into that real estate career uh, you know having to dig out of nowhere dig this career out of nothing which was incredibly hard work and after about four or five years and going through a divorce I just noticed my body was starting to show signs of wear and tear I'd recently had um meningitis back in 2009 and not really being in tune with my body I came through that and went back to work and just pushed through it and my body started crashing really really badly and by 2010 I had to stop working I was essentially bedridden in a lot of pain waking up in extreme pain and no one could tell me what was wrong with me I think there was a couple of things there was probably I was probably brokenhearted at one point because I'd gone through an incredibly traumatic divorce. And of course, when you go through a divorce or a separation and you have children involved, it's very, very hard for the children. It's very hard to see your children suffer. Um, And it was very hard for Leo. So this amount of stress and financial stress and all these things just built up and I just crashed. And I spent a few years very, very unwell. Um, But through that period, I had a beautiful woman in my life she was a savior really in many respects and she she helped me a lot through that time but ultimately i didn't get better until two things changed and that was that i stopped associating myself with being sick and just thought you know what i got myself into it i can get myself out and that was it i made a decision to get better it was very very psychological i think and I started getting better and stronger. And then as I got better and stronger, I started to feel like I wanted to go back into music and I had suppressed it and suppressed it. And the whole time I was doing this, I felt this little part of me had died. Like I had this unlived life and unlived potential that I wasn't tapping into. And I started to pick up the guitar. I started to write lyrics. I started to, I bought myself a really cheap little piano for $300, a keyboard. I started writing music again. And this little spark just came back alive. It it became a flame. And as I got stronger and stronger and felt more and more myself, the music got better and better and better. And then I had a beautiful I guess what you'd call an, uh, sorry, a conscious uncoupling. (laughs) It was a beautiful, but painful, but still beautiful separation. And I found myself very quickly in another relationship. 
which lasted for about five or six months. And through that period, this um, beautiful woman really nurtured my music with me. She really sat there and just listened and gave feedback. You know, I'm really, really grateful for that. And these songs started to emerge. And as we had just started to um, very peacefully separate, I wrote a song called Little Lover. And this song was transformative for me because it was the first time I wrote something where I listened to it and I thought, I want to put that out in the world. I'm ready. And just to say that was me overcoming years and years of resistance, as Stephen Pressfield writes about in his book War of Art. An artist who isn't doing what they want to do, that what he calls resistance, is incredibly hard to overcome, really painful. I did everything I could to not do music. But when I wrote that song and I had these two notes, when that song starts on those two notes, it like melted my heart. It, it, it took me to a place, just two simple little notes on the piano. And it always transported me into a place where I couldn't hide anymore. Every time I played those two notes, I just knew what I needed to be doing. And I knew that I could never look back on my life with any amount of satisfaction until I finally got this music out. And in that process, I met you. And we had known each other for, for many, many years and had been in similar social circles. But it was almost like the, the universe, whatever you want to call it, just would not let us see each other because... You know, you'd walk into my office at the time that I shared with Tom Cronin, who's a very good friend of mine and business partner, and we'd be like, hey, hi, how you doing? You know, just like we didn't really even exist. And we'd been out to dinner parties and sat right near each other and just, it was like there was this cloud over you, like I didn't see you, a smokescreen. It wasn't time for me to see you because if I did see you earlier, I most definitely would have fallen in love with you and probably stuffed things up because I was learning so much about myself and, and making so many mistakes. But in that short period of going from divorce to you know, a three-year relationship and then to another shorter relationship, then having a few months to myself, I grew so quickly and finally found myself wanting to release music, uh, spending time in meditation more and more often, doing yoga and softening into my heart space a lot more. And then all of a sudden, there you were. And it was like, oh, how do I describe it? It was like a bolt of lightning. And I invited you to come and do yoga with me one day. And it was just so easy. We spent hours chatting about life and what we wanted. And at that time, we were even talking about never wanting to get married, never wanting to have kids and open relationships and all this sort of stuff, which of course led to this really interesting space of having no expectations of each other and so we had a couple of dates on the beach just chatting and all of a sudden I found you at my place in fact it's quite a cute story can I share that with the audience darling (laughs) what story are you gonna share which one (laughs) I'll keep it I'll keep it pg rated um it was just really sweet because you and I had been talking a bit and we had a few conversations over the course of a couple of weeks, hadn't really had a date yet. And you called me and 
you'd been on tour at the time and you had found yourself back at home in the bath and you were reading Dear Lover by David Dieter. And I had not so long ago for the second time finished reading the, I guess, the male companion to that book, which is The Way of the Superior Man. And so I found myself in this space of really wanting to apply the knowledge I had about masculine and feminine energies and really wanted to find a partner that I could apply that to. And here you are reading Dear Lover and we were chatting on the phone and, and you just said to me, why don't I just come over? <laughs> and I was like, great. A little bit forward, wasn't oh, it? It was the best though because <laughs> that night completely changed our lives. And no joke, I swear, the drive from your house is about 20 minutes. Your house back then anyway. The house that I was, yeah, living the house in at the time. That's right. And from the bath to literally me seeing you get out, of the, uh, get out of the lift was about 25 minutes. I couldn't believe it. And you were decked out in this beautiful red dress ready to go to dinner. And you walked out of the lift and I grabbed you. I was actually chatting to a, uh, someone who lived in the building that I was in. And I just literally grabbed you and started devouring you, like pashing you. <laughs> um, and we hadn't had very much in- intimacy before that. And it was like this moment where nothing else existed. And I knew at that moment that you and I were going to be together. And we went out to dinner and we spoke about our future and we went back home and, and spent the night together and we spoke about marriage and we just knew it was going to be us together forever. And I knew at that point I'd found the one. And from there, I'm just launching into a story about us. <laughs> that's, I guess that's all relevant because it all leads to my music. And two weeks later we were engaged and it was almost like there was this invisible force or a puppet master of some sort. Like I was on strings, just being guided effortlessly, totally choiceless. And there I was, proposing to you. And it was the most beautiful, easy thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I never questioned it, never doubted it. I just knew I wanted to be with you because I'd found the one, so to speak. And from there, my music just took on a shape of its own. It started to evolve. It started to go way more into the heart space. Uh, Most of my songs are about love or at least about resistance because they were the two dominating forces in my life at the time. And, yeah, then I released Little Lover, and that's just gone absolutely gangbusters, which has been really beautiful to see, because it's not the sort of song you would expect to see on the radio, because it's slow, and but it's gone on the radio, and it's gone crazy on Spotify, and people walk down the aisle to it, which is amazing. Um, but here we are today, and, you know, I'm just very, very honoured to be able to, number one, have you in my life to be able to write this song, the one, but to have your audience as part of, you know, a key, key factor in spreading my music's really, really beautiful. Mm, Thank you for sharing, darling. So how important do you think that personal prep that you did before you called me in, how important do you think that personal prep is? And what exactly did you do to prep yourself for meeting the one? I mean, the greatest investment you can ever make is in yourself. It's a saying you'll hear a lot and far out. I mean, that all those years I was in pain, I wasn't doing the work. I thought I was doing the work, but I was actually just keeping myself unwell by dwelling on the wrong things. 
doing that personal work, there is nothing, 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 nothing more important than that. And it wasn't until I faced, I guess, my fears and my reality, my truth, which is made all the more easy when you meditate and and do these more feminine uh, daily things like meditation and yoga, that it starts to unlock a side of you, which is almost like you can't even live properly until you start tapping into this side of you. It's like, it's like my life started a few years ago, just before we met. Like I just started to figure it out a little bit in its infancy. I just started to get my life in order. And it's because I was doing this work. And without that work, I could never have attracted you into my life. You wouldn't have been attracted to me if I hadn't have really delved deep into, I think, number one, masculine and feminine. For me, that is a fundamental understanding that we are all made of masculine and feminine energy. I'm not talking about male and female. I'm talking about masculine and feminine, yin and yang. And the importance of that, the importance of me playing that role, playing that masculine role, which I had failed to do in every single one of my relationships. And I held myself completely accountable for where those relationships had gone because I never showed up in that masculine space. I never served the feminine the way I should have or could have, I should say. But when I met you, I'd had enough. I was like, screw that. I am freaking going to masculine the hell out of this woman and I'm not going to hide anymore. And that work that I did before meeting you, number one, made it possible for you to be attracted to me and made it possible for me to, I guess, know what to do, you know, when you meet someone of your caliber. Did you always believe there was the one or is this something that evolved over time? I don't know. It's really hard to believe in the one or a soulmate, whatever you want to call it. It's really hard to believe in it, I think, to truly get it until you have it. I think the best that I could do before that was to feel that there was more. You know, I just knew there was more. I knew that I would find someone who respected me who really respected me. And I I had respect, of course, but I'd also had relationships where there was no respect. But also who just saw me for me. Like I felt like I was never truly seen before until I met you. I just never felt seen. And I just knew that there was going to be someone who would just look at me and just get me. I, I don't know. It's a feeling that I had. I didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it. It was almost like there was a part of me missing more than knowing that there was something out there for me. I just felt like I was just not quite nailing some part of my life. And I longed, I guess, for that person who would give me respect, who would see me and give me that sort of devotion and love that comes only through unconditional love and knowing that you are going to be with someone, share a life with someone. And the minute that I met you, I knew that. And that comes with its challenges. I mean, Finding your, your match in life, your equal, is tough and bliss all rolled into one, challenge and support. Dr. John Martini talks about this stuff the best, more than anyone I know, and he's also been on your podcast and been a huge influence on our lives. But this concept of support and challenge in equal measure is so true when you meet your match, when you meet your one, and all of a sudden you can experience so much bliss and you have that partner in your life, but my God, you 
have to now show up. <laughs> there is nowhere to hide anymore because that person does see you. They know what you're capable of and they want you to shine. And I think that's the definition of a soulmate, is someone who wants you to shine and who supports you to be everything you can be. And you certainly do that for me in spades. And when I'm being shitty and average, (laughs) which, you know, we all do at times, when I'm not living up to my potential, I can't hide. And it makes life really uncomfortable because you see it, you feel it, and you gently try and nudge me back. But it is both the most important and the best thing you'll ever do. It's also one of the most challenging things you'll ever do because that sacred, beautiful container of a relationship, of life, partnership, of companionship is this vessel which takes you on a journey of massive evolution, massive growth, and it is such a beautiful opportunity to grow, but you've got to be ready for it. So doing the personal work leading up to that prepares you for that, and I'm so grateful I had the experiences and the pain and the joy and everything leading up to meeting you because it made me who I was and maybe never want to make those mistakes ever again. So how do you find the one? I have lots of friends and lots of tribe members that say they want the one. I want the one. I want the one. How do you find that? I think it finds you more than you finding it. I think that um, you take cues from from the universe on this one because it's not that you can go out looking for something. The more you want something, if you're wanting it from a place of lack, the more you want something, the more you're going to repel it. It's almost like the opposite of the secret to a degree. If you want, want, want something, it doesn't mean you're going to attract it because generally that want comes from a place of lack. So getting to a place of non-lack and truly feeling what you deserve, what you're worthy of, I think that was a turning point for me because I felt, you know what? I'm a freaking good person. <laughs> I have a lot to offer. And I just had this feeling that I deserved more. I deserved the best. And only when I felt like I got to that place and I had done the work, because I tell you, I did not arrive at that place a day earlier before I met you. No joke. And I know you know the same thing. I was not ready 24 hours before even I was still learning on this exponential curve to get into a place before I was ready to meet you. And I think it's a place of doing the work on yourself, getting to a place where you don't just know your worthiness or what you deserve. You feel it. It's vibrating in your, every single cell of your body. You are overflowing and you are so ready to give from that place of love, from that place of overflow that like you walk down the street and people freaking notice it. Like they, all of a sudden, the opposite sex is throwing themselves at you. People are throwing themselves at your energy because all of a sudden they want a piece of what you've got. You're you're exuding this magnetic energy. And once you get to that place, I'd never been there. Let me tell you, I'd never, ever been there until the day that you and I came together. But when you get there, you know it. And I think finding or calling in or attracting your one, your soulmate, can only come from getting to that place. Now, of course, you might meet them before you're ready, 
which means there's going to be a lot of work to do together. And that's another path as well. I'm sure that's a totally valid path. But for me personally, I had to make all the mistakes and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and experience all the pain before I I wanted it bad enough to do the work to call you in. How did you know I was the one? (laughs) Well, I knew that night. I knew it. You know, we went up to my apartment after dinner and keep we, it PG baby keep uh, it PG <laughs> and we just lay on an outdoor couch looking at this beautiful view and we just spoke about what our wedding was going to look like the children we were going to have and it sounds kind of crazy but we just knew and I think oh, you know that saying you just know when you know you know and of course it makes total nonsense I think until you experience it but I just knew. I think, I think you only know when you, do, when, the, when you don't need to ask that question anymore. And if you're asking that question, it's either because you're not overflowing and you can't see what you have right in front of you or you're just not possibly in the right relationship. So, yeah, I think the only way to answer that is when you know, you just know. It's kind of crazy and it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but it's the truth. What do you do if you're currently with someone and you realize they're not the one? I think the first thing you need to do is just work on yourself. And this is what happened in my my first marriage, which, mind you, as painful as it was, I was very grateful for. I was gifted the most beautiful, stunning human being of a son, which I'm forever grateful for. But doing that work, first and foremost, even if you're still in the relationship, is most important. Just just go for it. Just grow. Because I started doing that. I started meditating. And it's amazing what happens when two people in a relationship go on a different path because it's almost like there's this invisible rubber band that holds you together. And you can stretch it and stretch it and one person grows and grows and grows and grows. And the other person might resist, resist, resist. And that rubber band is so stretched that it's either going to fling that person straight up to you to come on the journey or that rubber band is going to break. And when it's at that point of breaking, it is so painful because there's so much tension on that rubber band and that relationship. And that's what happened for me. We stretched it so far and it took so much pain for that rubber band to break. But when it did, I was set free to go on my path. And I think first and foremost, when you're in a, in a relationship, you just have to do the work and just look for the cues from the universe that you're doing the right thing, that you're either with or not with the right person. But first and foremost, you need to do the work. And I know that sounds simplistic, but when I say do the work, I'm talking about probably first and foremost, finding some stillness in your life. I think that's where it all changes. When you can, when you can declutter what's going on, and you can find stillness every day. You start to see through the noise. You start to see clearly. And not only do you get the physical benefits of getting deep rest and de-stressing your nervous system, which is so important. When your nervous system is stressed, it's very, very, very hard to tap into any intuition. But when you start to remove some of that stress through tapping into nature to just having a self-love routine, whatever you want to call it, a daily practice. When you start to de-excite that nervous system, 
you start to feel more, you start to tap into your intuition and you can start to see these things. But if you are running around in a hectic stress state, you're not going to see through that. You're not going to know what's going on. You won't know what's right or wrong because of that stress. So I think first and foremost, if I could recommend anything, it would be embracing a daily practice of stillness or meditation. And for me, that was transcendental or Vedic meditation. And it completely, it's almost like there's life before meditation and life after. It's that simple. And it took me many years. I've been doing it for eight or nine years now. But it took many years for me to implement it to the point where it started to have an impact properly. Um, But that would be my first recommendation. Your first single little lover has this cult-like following and people play it on repeat. They walk down the aisle to it. Like you said, they do their first dance at the wedding to it, which I think a lot of people will do that with the one. Um, and if they do, please tag us in it. Cause we love seeing everyone's videos. Um, Nick gets emailed mm-hmm. often videos of people doing their first dance to Little Lover. It's so beautiful and we watch them just like tears streaming down our face. So please send them to us. We'd love to see them. But as a man, you've really tapped into and embraced your feminine side within yourself. So how have you been able to do that and why is it so important? Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it is so important. You know, oh God, I can't even, I can't even put into words, but I'll attempt to put into words how important this is. But for me, I think it was 2008, I first picked up The Way of the Superior Man by David Dieter. I got about five chapters in and thought, ah, this is baloney. What rubbish. Because at that point in time, I was absolutely not being a superior man and not understanding the concept of, fa- of masculine and feminine. Um, so I just threw it away. And when I came back to it and I read it, it was like every word struck me like a bolt of lightning. And all of a sudden, life literally started to make sense. Literally. I started to get it. I was like, oh, my God, I understand what I'm here to do. I understand my role as a man. But before that, I was absolutely stabbing in the dark, completely stabbing in the dark. And so when I discovered this knowledge and knew how I was supposed to show up as a man, as a masculine figure, and how I could nurture the feminine energy in my partner, everything changed. Now, of course, I tried to implement a little bit of that before I met you, but when I met you, I was finally at that point where I had sort of embodied the teaching and it was now in me, it was ingrained in me. So it just came out of me and I think became the bedrock, the foundation of, of our relationship. And of course you'd read Dear Lover and you understand your role. So we came together in this beautiful balancing yang match, which was very, very new to me. But as part of that process, it's also, under, it's also really important to understand for me anyway, as the masculine, it's, I feel my best when I'm strong and I'm grounded in my body. So I, I, I stay strong. I have a, a physical practice which keeps me really strong and vibrant. And at the same time, I meditate and I do yoga and I do those softer side, 
you know, those softer routines. And the balance of those two produces this strong masculine who is directional and knows what he wants out of life, what his mission is, but then opens the heart up to feeling more love and being more vulnerable. And when we came together, the first, oh, what do you think, darling? Oh, probably the first three months of our relationship, one of the main things we worked on was removing the, <laughs> the lead plate that was across my heart because I'd been heartbroken before. I'd experienced a lot of pain. And it's easy not to look at this stuff. But I just knew there was a blockage there. I knew it. And little lover to a degree, when I listen to that, I can feel still the blockage in that but I can feel in that song that there is something about to bloom when that beat kicks in there is about there's a part of me that I'm wishing to remove and express and I think the music does that but tapping into that space I think for the masculine one person I met in life a few times which embodied this more than anyone I've ever met was Hugh Jackman this superior model of a man who is he knows what he's doing. He's got this strong direction. He has an incredible relationship with his wife. He has deep love with his partner, his wife, and his children. He has this beautiful balance of strength and softness. And for me, that is the definition of a superior man, is strong and warm, masculine and feminine, and knowing how to nurture both sides of himself. What if someone is with their partner and their balance isn't, that balance isn't there, yet they want to inspire their man to step into their masculine and to step up as the superior man? Because as the feminine, we want and we desire that strong directional masculine to provide safety Mm. and security and sex. And, and amongst many other things as well. But ultimately, that's what we all desire. So if someone is with a partner and they want to inspire them to step up into that masculine superior man, how can they lovingly do that? Yeah, it's a really good question because everybody has the capacity You might be in a relationship where you know that there's more that you can tap into, but just feel like it's, it's not being expressed the way it could be. And you want to find ways to tap into that yourself, but also to uh, inspire your partner. And I think that the, the best thing you can do in any relationship is be a point of inspiration for your partner and lead by example. You can't force anyone to do anything in any situation. So when it comes to a relationship, the rules are the same. You have to lead by example. You have to be the partner that you wish to have. So I mean, if you want to have more, first you have to be more. It's a classic, classic saying. So become more. And when it comes to inspiring the masculine, if the feminine is wanting to inspire the masculine, the first thing I think you need to look at is the man's mission is the man plodding along and just doing 
what he has to do to provide and to get by, to provide security, but is not inspired, well, that's going to cause a big issue because the masculine absolutely needs a mission, needs to be inspired, needs that firm direction. And I think from the feminine perspective, you can look at your man and just say, how's he going? Is he really doing what's true for him? Because I tell you what, a man who's on his true path, his true mission, is going to be way more loving, attentive, and give you way more orgasms than a man who is not. And I don't joke when I say orgasms, I mean it, because that is a sign that a man is in service of his woman because he knows the importance of nurturing the feminine when he's devoted to her sexually. So I think the first thing is to take a look at the man and, and, and really feel into where he's at, number one, and have a conversation about it. But number two, I think, is to soften, to really embody the feminine. Because when the feminine softens, and gives affection and gives love, it inspires the masculine to no end. When the, the feminine is trying to push for what she wants and, for want of a better phrase, becomes a bit of a ball breaker, I tell you what, it's just, it is so uninspiring to see the feminine pushing because that's not the job of the feminine. The feminine is to soften. And in Little Lover, in that music video, I made it very, very clear visually that I was the masculine, I was standing firm and directional in the centre of the music video. And Nat, the dancer, was moving around me. So I was the flagpole, she was the flag, she was soft, she was dancing around me. And you can use that reference or even that music video as a reminder of what the feminine is there to do. And even if you're in a same-sex relationship, the same rules apply. You're still going to have masculine and feminine energies in different proportions with each other. And the, the role is to identify that and to, to, to play to that. So I think those two things are really important to really look at your man, love and make sure he's on, on path, on mission, on purpose and, and inspire him by softening, inspire him by giving him love and nurturing him. You know, I find this really interesting that, when I find myself getting lost in my mission and getting a bit stressed, the one thing I want more than anything is for you to ground me, to bring me back into my body, get me out of my head, bring me back into my heart. And you know what? The feminine can do that better than anyone. Anyone. And it's really important for for the feminine to recognize when that's needed, which you, Melissa, are very, very good at doing and to bring the masculine back into his body and back into his heart space. Um, So if you recognize that your man is also smashing it out, doing long hours, getting stressed, reacting to things he shouldn't react to, then you have the capacity to inspire him back into the heart whenever you want. It will work every single time without fail. So we've been married almost three years And there's people who have been married or with their partner for decades. How do you stay excited after years of being with the one? I think there's no more powerful practice than gratitude. And to be perfectly honest, you're way better at this than I am. You're like the gratitude queen. But every morning you remind me. As soon as I open my eyes, you're always awake before me. And you're normally staring at me or tickling my back or something. 
Um, again, there you go, nurturing, softening the masculine. That's what you do, just naturally because you are embodying the feminine so beautifully. Um, and whenever you don't, mind you, whenever you're in your masculine, then we're not making love. We're not doing the things that we know we should be doing as a, as a sacred companionship. But gratitude is very, very important. And the first thing you ask me is, what are three things you're grateful for? It's very, very hard when you have a partner who does that to not look them in the eye in the morning and be grateful for that person. When you start your day with heart-busting gratitude for your partner, it's the first thing you do when you open your eyes. It really sets the tone for how that day is going to be for the rest of the day, but also with your partner as well. It kind of sets you up for success in life and sets you up for success in your relationships. I think gratitude is absolutely essential. Because that person has chosen, consciously chosen, to spend their freaking life with you. I mean, this is not a small decision. This is a huge decision. One that I'm sort of pinch myself that you chose me, that we chose each other. It's, it amazes me sometimes. And sometimes I don't step up the way I should and I feel like um, I look at you and I think, God, I can't believe she's, she's here. And I, that's the moments where I really feel gratitude for you. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Um, but in terms of excitement, you know, sometimes lovemaking flows effortlessly and it just is part of your day, part of your routine. And we, you and I always joke that an orgasm a day keeps the doctor, doctor away. And oh, it is so true. If you and I aren't making love, and sometimes you do have to make it, you have to consciously show up, and sometimes it can be an effort. I'm not going to lie because you're not always in that space. You might be stressed. You might be tired. But if you show up and you put that love and effort into that side of your life, because let's face it, we don't have any problems checking our email. We have all these priorities that we have through the day. But where is the goddamn freaking priority to make love to your partner? Should that not be number one along with you know, giving love and attention to your children? But yet we so easily prioritize everything else, like our job. I mean, it's crazy. I'm guilty of it too. But I think making love is the sacred glue that holds that relationship together. And it's the one thing that you have with that person that nobody else has with that person. Nobody else out there has what I have with you. Nobody else can touch you the way I do, can make love to you, can make you feel the way I make you feel can connect you with that feeling of oneness in God the way that I can. But you have to do it. You have to do it frequently. And our love life is the bedrock of our existence, of our relationship. And when it's not flowing, all areas of our life stop the flow. They stop without fail every single time. So if you want excitement in your life, you have to, at times, you have to create it. You have to nurture it. And if it's gone a bit cold, you need to start putting the paper and the kindling and the logs back on that fire and start nurturing it and spark it every day until it comes back up again because it is so important. And if you're in a romantic relationship and you don't have that part of it figured out, you will always feel like there is something missing. You will always feel unfulfilled, in my opinion. And I just love it when our love life is flowing because, oh, you're like the best person in the world to be around. And when I don't show up, 
you know, it shows very quickly because I believe it's my duty as the masculine to have that direction in the relationship and to inspire that part of us. And life is so much sweeter when you're making love. It's that simple. Couldn't agree more, darling. I'm sitting here just like pinching myself that everything you're saying is about me. It's <laughs> I'm just bursting with gratitude and yeah, goosebumps all over my body. So grateful, darling. Let's talk about expectations in your relationship. I have a saying, as you know, expectations ruin relationships. And I personally feel like expectations are the quickest route to unhappy land. So can you talk about expectations in relationships? Yeah, so expectations, it was a huge thing for us when we first met because I first, for the very first time in my life, I experienced what it was like to have a relationship with no expectations. I'm really lucky in many respects because my, my parents and my siblings, we don't really have expectations of each other, which I think is quite rare in, in families. We just do what's natural to us and we never get cranky or, you know, annoyed if someone doesn't do something. Uh, so I've, I've had it in that part of my life, but never in my love life until I met you. And I think it was truly a reflection of just two people coming together who had made all the mistakes they needed to make, to make in, in all relationships they'd had, but started to figure it out to the point where they knew they had to nurture themselves. They knew they had to overflow first. And when you get to that point, you no longer need anything from the other person. It becomes a beautiful cherry on top of a very tasty pie. And we had that at the beginning and we still have that, but very, very occasionally you and I can see expectations creep in. Oh, you know, I was upset that day. So you should have done this for me and you should have done that. But just because you are in a really amazing relationship, you're still an individual. You still have to show up and be accountable for yourself. So I think, I couldn't agree more. Expectations are so, so important because as soon as they creep in, you're just going to get disappointed (laughs) every time. You're going to get disappointed because inevitably no one's ever going to show up the way you want them to because they're not you. It's that simple. Allow people just to be there in the way they want to be there. And if that's not good enough for you, but it's the best they can do, then maybe you need to ask starting the questions about that relationship. But again, the best thing to do is lead by example, is to be that point of inspiration and don't have expectations of your partner and see what that does. And I think you and I would both agree that whenever we have expectations, it definitely becomes a bit of a roadblock to happiness for sure. So just be that point of inspiration and just lead by example. That's the best thing you can do. How important do you think it is to not carry any baggage from past hurt or past heartbreaks into the current relationship with the one? Oh, God. It's so important. I mean, I think it's a lot easier to work through this stuff on your own than it is in a relationship. It depends how open your relationship is. I was lucky and very fortunate with you that the stuff that I carried in was really just around past hurt and really, you know, past suffering that I hadn't quite let go of. 
and you were very, very willing to go there with me, even though it, I think to a degree, it kind of hurt you as well because there was parts of me that I wouldn't open up and you wanted me to. But again, that just comes down to, to doing those daily simple practices that can help shift these blockages because you can talk about baggage, whatever label you want to put on it. I just look at it as a blockage, something that has stuck to you like a bit of mud and you've got to wash it off. You know, it's like that classic example of if you have a lamp in a dark room and you've got a hundred blankets on it, you know, it takes a while of removing those blankets before any light starts to get through. But as you get closer to the light, it just bursts through and lights the whole room. And personal work is exactly that. As you go through life, you develop scars. It comes from a, a Sanskrit word, samskara, which is basically scars, you know, or let's look at it as mud. And you go through life and you get dirtier and dirtier from rolling around in the mud. And when you start doing this work, you start meditating, you start taking care of your body, you start having gratitude, you do all these little things, you start to wash away some of that mud and you get clearer and clearer and clearer. And for me, that is the best way to, to, to define enlightenment is that process of becoming lighter. It's not a place that you ever get to, I don't think. It's just a, it's a, it's a process and it only comes by showing up. And I've got to admit, I mean, I might sound all holy moly, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means. Last few weeks, I haven't meditated as much as I shouldn't. I've been goddamn <laughs> cranky as you'd probably attest, but the baggage can be washed away. It can be removed. And I think the meditation is incredibly important because when you start to de-excite the nervous system, you start to calm the nervous system you can start to actually see and feel the baggage clearly and intuitively you know what has to be done. You know what has to be removed and you can start the process. So again, it just comes down to, (laughs) almost comes back to meditation every time, but it's a very important part of that process. What is one thing, this might lead into this question, but what is one thing you're currently working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment that you wouldn't want anyone to know? I managed to burst through massive layers of resistance that were causing me extreme amounts of pain with my music and not doing it. The minute that I made the decision that I am going to do this, my life felt a million times more purposeful and juicy and beautiful. And I did it and it was never, I wouldn't say it was ever easy. I kept having to you know, sit down and write the music and go away and produce it and and invest money and time into that process. But even though I'm doing it, I'm still finding ways of not fully showing up. I know that sounds kind of crazy on a day when I'm (laughs) releasing a music video about us and I'm really proud of this song. It's a very, very important turning point in my life. But I do find ways of not doing what's most important to me. Uh, So I think... It's a bit of a secret thing for me, which I hold, and I know that I'm not doing what I could be doing every day to my fullest capacity, and I could show up more. Uh, I would like to really come up with a way of existing day to day where I am fully expressing myself artistically, and I don't think I am yet. And maybe that will come when I'm touring and all those sorts of things are in place. 
but I do want to have that in some capacity every day. Let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose? I've mentioned a couple of books a few times now, which is The Way of the Superior Man and Dear Lover. And I would love more than anything for David Dieter to write a version of those two books for for a younger audience. It could still be read by a younger audience, absolutely no problem. But in order for schools to accept it, it would need to be adjusted. The fundamental understanding of the masculine and the feminine, I mean, these are the two energies that power everything. Everything that we see and touch and smell and taste has yin and yang. And if you don't understand this, it's like, oh, it's like stabbing in the dark. And I was stabbing in the dark for so long. So I'd just say, if you haven't read those books, and I'd probably read both, whether you're male or female, I'd read both books for, to get both perspectives. But grab those books. Um, I know your next book, which probably can't talk about, will address some of that for that audience. So I think your next book should be in the curriculum of every single school as well as Mastering Your Mean Girl because I see what it's done for young women um, but if I was excluding your books, I would say Dear Lover and Way of the Superior Man for a younger audience would be incredible. I agree. And we'll put links to all of those books in the show notes. So don't worry about trying to find a pen and paper and scribbling them down somewhere. It's all in the show notes. So let's talk about how your day looks. Um, do you have a morning routine? How do you prime yourself for the day? I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with morning routines. I love learning about successful people that I admire and I love. So can you share yours? It's funny being asked that by you because you know full well what my morning routines are like. But um, I, It's true. I see it. I see it every day. Kind of join in on some things, some things I don't. I love my morning routine and I'll try and keep it in a nutshell because it's pretty extensive. But when I don't do it, I really don't feel myself to be perfectly honest. I definitely feel like I'm not quite humming on all levels, but I basically wake up, we have our little morning gratitude and in an ideal world, every morning I'd make love to you because that is, Oh God, as I said before, life is just sweeter when you're, orgasmic it just is um then from there i would go and get a drink of water which would have lemon juice and and apple cider vinegar it's i think that's a very very important first step step um actually before that tongue scraping to detoxify and from there it's just going into meditation some form of movement yoga um doing an infrared sauna which i absolutely love and then I'll go down to the beach. I'll have a swim in the ocean. No matter what time of year it is, I'll swim in the ocean. And then uh, I'll do some exercise. I'll hang for about a minute. I hang every day for a minute uh, from a bar, which just lengthens your spine and gives uh, you know more oxygen and breathing space to, the, to your spinal cord and just keeps you more upright. And... Sometimes I have a bath, it depends. I know you love your morning Epsom salt baths. Then the Bulletproof coffee. Then I'll go into my day and I'll start working normally 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I don't rush. I take my time to devote 
the first part of my day to myself and I'll generally exercise before lunch and go from there. So that's kind of how it looks. And from there, it just, you know, I try and do as much work as I can in a day, but without stressing about it and getting done what I can do in a day and knowing there's always more I could do, but I just do what I can do and try and get an early night and get lots of rest. That's absolutely crucial. Oh, I missed the morning meditation and the afternoon meditation is absolutely essential too. You also missed enemas. Oh God. Yeah. I love coffee enemas. <laughs> I mean, we live in a modern world where there are extraordinary amounts of toxins that we're exposed to, especially when you live in a city like we do. We're lucky to live on the beach so we get that ocean air, but I think it's really important to have a daily detoxification process. It's not just a matter of detoxing, you know, once a year for seven days doing a juice cleanse. They're all great, these things, but I think you need to incorporate daily detoxification to help your body, Uh, whether it's drinking clean water. That would be a first step, doing saunas, Maybe coffee enemas aren't for everyone. I mean, I happen to like it because for whatever reason, I just feel a gazillion times better when I do it and more fresh and alert. Um, Yeah, but that daily detoxification is really, really important and getting into nature in some form. When I swim in that ocean, obviously I'm grounding myself in a massive way and getting exposed to all those minerals. But getting into nature every day is just, I mean, getting sun every day as well is so important. You and I love our sun. It's like recharging our batteries. And I just wanted to mention that what you usually get up at around six o'clock. So Nick's morning routine goes from around six to nine 30, just saying. So, um, yeah, it's amazing what you can fit in, in that time and not everybody, um, has the space to do that, but just make, make some time for yourself. I know for me as well, if I don't do my morning routine, I just feel off. And so I can really relate to you saying that I do. I just don't feel like I'm the best version of myself and and whether it's fitting in something for 10 minutes or three hours, it doesn't matter as long as you take that time for yourself. Well, I have to acknowledge you on that because you're incredible with your morning routine it's not quite as extensive as mine but you're probably more consistent with getting through all the things that you want to do and you know it's a credit to you because you do walk the talk you actually do everything you talk about in this show which i think is really important and why this show is so successful but um yeah if, if you don't have a morning routine even if it is just meditating for 20 minutes if you have young children and a family uh having a discussion with them and saying look i want to find 20 minutes each morning to, to carve out that time. So arranging with your husband to take the children, whatever it is you need to do to at least get some stillness into your morning and your afternoon. I used to do it in the car in, in between appointments or I'd just go into a boardroom and I'd do it when I was working in an office job. I would just find ways. I'd do it on the toilet when I was desperate. Like seriously, it became so important that I just found ways to do it and incorporate it. I think you can always do it no matter what your circumstances are. You can find a way to do that. I agree. Now, darling, I'd love to hear what are three things you are most recently grateful for? I'm really grateful that I have this platform and your audience. Um, I'm grateful for your audience because they spread my music far and wide and are very, very passionate about it. And I think this song, I'm really excited to see what happens with this song because, you know, it's the, probably the most loved 
loved up song that I've done and music video. It's very bright, very loving. Um, I'm very grateful for, for everything that you have done for my musical career as well and your support. Um, most, well, every day I'd have to say the gratitude that I have for being a father to Leo and that this little boy who is spiritual uh, yet funny, yet sporty, yet academic, and everyone loves him. Uh, I'm totally humbled by that, that he even has any of my DNA because he's an incredible human being. I'm very, very proud to be his dad. And I'm grateful today to be up in Noosa at my parents' property, literally in, in paradise, in God's country, and having a space like this to escape to and to, to get into my, to my zone. Beautiful, darling. You missed me. You didn't. You didn't say me. Like, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I'm like I over did here this going, "Hey, you... yeah, I know." <laughs> joking. No, I said this morning. I got a Voxer message from Melissa. As soon as I turn my phone on, there she is on Voxer. Good morning, darling. What are you? What are the three things you're most grateful for? So she even says it when we're not together. And of course, you were number one on that list, as you always are. Yes, I was. Thanks, darling. Now, in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that you can do for health? You know, my motto is health, wealth, and love, the, the mm. pyramid of success and happiness and health in life. What's one of the most important things that you can do for health? I'd have to say, and this is really simple, but I think simple is the best, and that is getting rest. And you get that through quality sleep and you get that through meditation and I do really encourage people to look at a more transcendental form of meditation purely because in this modern world it gives you access to deep states of rest that are very hard to get in any form, of, any other form of meditation. So I think optimizing your sleep, number one, which you and I go to great lengths to do, I even monitor my sleep with this device called a WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, which has only just become publicly available. It's only been used by professional athletes. So that's one of my hacks is monitoring how I've recovered the next day so I know how hard I can push myself. Um, but meditating as well. So just rest, getting rest. My God, we all need it. What's one of the most important things that you can do for wealth? Wealth, I'd have to say, and it might sound obvious, but do what you love for a living because that is where true abundance lies. You can make money doing all sorts of things. I made plenty of money in real estate, but I ended up sick for three years. So I don't know if that's really worth it. And doing what they love, just if you can get out of bed like you do, Melissa, every morning, excited about what is in store for the day and just bursting, then it's so much easier to create wealth from that place. Otherwise, it's, it's a struggle, in my opinion. Mm, I agree. And darling, what is one of the most important things you can do for love? I know I've said this before and I don't want to sound repetitive, but I'm going to drive this home and that is if you want, if you want love, you have to make love. So if you have a partner, make love. If you don't have a partner, you need to love yourself and you need to make love yourself, with yourself. Well, that sounds interesting. You could do that too, but... Um, definitely have a practice of self-love. I agree. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap this up? 
No, look, I'm I'm just super grateful that you wanted to interview me and, and this is a very, very important day for you and I, I think. It's almost like a iconic moment where we've captured this beautiful moment in time of us together on camera and I'm I just I'm really excited to see what people have to say about it. So when you go to the show notes, please leave a comment for me. I'd love to be in there and responding to your comments as well. And I guess I have an ask of your audience, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, if this song or any of my songs resonate with you, please share it with someone that you know will enjoy it as much because that's how, that's the power of music. It gets spread from person to person and it's your passion that spreads my music through the world and that's my mission. So anything you can do to support that, I'd be very grateful. I will be sharing as much as possible, as you know. Before we wrap up, I wanted to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing all your wisdom. You know, you are my favorite human being on the planet and you have such extensive knowledge in so many areas from health, from wealth, finances, entrepreneurship, business, love, sex. You know, you have done so much study in every single area and we're going to have to bring you back on to talk about all of those other areas. But today was just solely focused on finding the one and love. But, and I can't wait to have those conversations with you. But, um, you know, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for showing up and being the most incredible partner and the most incredible person to hold hands with through life and play this game called life with. I couldn't ask for a more inspiring person to to do this with. So I'm beyond grateful that I am your one and you are my one. The feelings are obviously extremely mutual. (laughs) Thank you so much, beautiful. And go and listen to this song, but make sure you guys turn the volume up really loud. Trust me, you're going to want the volume loud. If you're watching the music video, make the screen big, turn the volume up and just lose yourself in the video and in Nick's lyrics and his voice. And like Nick said, leave us a comment. He will be in there and respond to all of your comments under the show notes and please share it. And again, thank you, Angel, for um, sharing your wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I pretty much had goosebumps that entire interview and couldn't actually believe that the person he was talking about was me. No, I could believe it, but just so overflowing with love and gratitude that everything Nick was saying was about me. Like I was just sitting here in awe and so grateful and felt every cell of my entire body just bursting with love and gratitude. I hope you guys got a lot out of that interview. He is my favorite person on this earth. And I'm so glad that he got to share his amazing knowledge with you. 
I'm so excited that you guys are taking part in this special day for both of us. It is such a momentous occasion. Launching the one is so exciting and we are bursting with excitement for you guys to hear the track and see the video. So please go and watch it now and let us know what you think. I honestly cannot wait to hear your thoughts. And if you loved this episode, please share it, like Nick said, with all of your friends or anyone who really appreciates soulful, heart-opening music. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who else you would like me to interview on the show and make sure you do that by tagging me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that Nick and I mentioned in this episode, go to the show notes and you can get everything that we mentioned. And that's at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 15. And you can listen to all my other podcasts there too. Thank you so much for being here. This is such a special day for both of us. And we are beyond grateful that you have taken the time to listen to this episode, watch the video and be immersed and taken on a journey with Nick's incredible voice. I totally wish I could sing like that. Well, not like that, but just sing in general. Um, I like to think I can, but Leo and Nick will tell you that, yeah, I probably can't. So thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up for yourself. You seriously rock. And I'm beyond grateful that you have showed up for you. And if you can think of anyone that would benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. (laughs) 